week of February 6th. 2022, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 571, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, I'm Michael Giltz. What are you, uh, so are, did you think, I know you, you took one look at me and went, that guy looks like Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. He's that, that debonair and good looking. We're recording on Tuesday morning because it's happy Oscar day. Oscar nominations were announced this morning, but it's also the 90th birthday of John Williams, who's been composing film music for six decades. He has two more coming up. The next Indiana Jones film, the next Spielberg drama, the Fablemans. Uh, you know, he's just uh, he's just uh, an iconic artist. So do you think cool. that, that like when he goes in and does uh, the next uh, Indiana Jones film, he's just like, hold on a second here. Let me just see. I have something lying around here. No, just, no. Oh, there you go. <laughs> He'll certainly use that. Da, da, da. But, you know, yeah, he's done nine Star Wars films. And speaking of Star Wars, that may be his greatest score. E.T., Star Wars, Jaws, hard to say. But among all that music. Uh, Star Wars ranks really large. He kind of brought back the classic film music symphonic score for once and forever. And uh, that movie also featured the special effects done in part by Oscar and Emmy winner Robert Blalock. He just died at the age of 73. In TV, he worked on Carl Sagan's series Cosmos, the TV movie The Day After about a nuclear attack that was at the time the highest rated TV movie of all time. And in movies, he did Altered States, Cat People, Airplane, which must have been a lot of fun, and Star Wars, and then helped found Industrial Light and Magic with others and had a long, great career. So happy birthday, John Williams. Goodbye, Robert Blaylock. And what are we going to talk about? Oh, but, you know, and hello back to me. I'm back from the Keys on my mom's 93rd birthday. Unlike John Williams, she's not still working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a slacker. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, hey, you gotta, you, you have to enjoy life at some point. I think ninety three might be a good time to start. My grandmother w- retired from the Globe and Mail, her position there, at the age of eighty nine. Really? Well, they kind of said you're retired. <laughs> yeah, she did. A, <laughs> she did a column in the Globe and Mail called uh, "Around the Town" with Mary Walpole for decades, beginning after her husband died unexpectedly at a young age, and turned it into a very profitable advertorial adventure. People who are of a certain age in Canada, with in Toronto, would certainly know my grandmother's name, Mary Walpole, and and around the town, lasted for decades. And at, 19, at the age of eighty nine, she stepped down finally. So that was cool. So yeah, it's, working is a great way to keep going. That's why we're going to be doing this podcast when we're seventy nine, right? Eighty, seventy nine. We got decades. Ninety nine. Go. I'm going to ninety nine. I'll retire Absolutely. at ninety nine. And we'll be talking about Oscar nominations then, just like we are now. What else will we talk about this week? Well, uh, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, here's the thing. We're going to discuss the world economy. We got some human rights, some climate crisis, and the genome pro. Okay, we're not. We're kidding, of course. We're going to be talking about the, the Sundance Film Festival's award. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. It's the Academy Award nominations because they're out. Finally, Oscar. we can stop... We can stop talking about who might get nominated because now we know. I mean, who can think about anything other than which actor was snubbed and which songs will be performed during the broadcast and who can host? And was that really nominated for Best Picture, but Spider-Man Far From Home wasn't? And if that joke is out of date because it actually was nominated for Best Picture, we can tell you now it won't win. Nope, not a chance. In fact, it won't win because it wasn't nominated. You can tell that was written before <laughs> that, the nomination. That was a, it was a safe joke. Yes. Well, now other stuff uh, during the, the past week certainly happened. We'll catch up on a lot of box office, the big hits during China's new year and why Alamo Draft House coming to Birmingham, Alabama is bad news for, for art house. Fan? How is that bad news for art house fans? Michael's going to tell us. Oh, and either Chris Cuomo got his revenge after being forced out of CNN or Jeff Zucker, its president and CEO. They, he just really former, screwed himself. Former. Former. Yeah. Well, on Inside Baseball, and thus the reason we're going to talk about it, on Inside Baseball, we will look at the ongoing crisis at Spotify surrounding Joe Rogan, or is it just a PR crisis because Joe Rogan is very, very popular and Spotify is not about to dump him? Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to you, Michael, entertainment journalist extraordinaire to fill us in on last week's box office. 
That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world for the week ending February 6th. This is right in the heart of the Chinese New Year. We've had seven days. It lasts from January 31st through February 15th. Eight films opened on February 1st. There was less travel this year, more time for movies. Didn't turn into a record box office, but uh, it was the year of the tiger and it roared. It roared at the box office more than $1 billion in seven days grossed at the Chinese box office. Hollywood wishes it could do that every week. And so the number one film around the world, no surprise here, it's China's The Battle of Lake Changzhong 2, also known as Watergate Bridge. This is another film set during the, the Korean War when China partnered with Korea to beat back the ugly Americans. And this one takes place at a bridge. It made $153 million in its opening week. Right below that is another big hit Chinese film. It's a comedy about, it looks like a, a would-be comic who gets involved in some sort of elaborate scam. It's called Too Cool to Kill, and it grossed $112 million. Another big Chinese film, Nice View. This is a thriller about a brother who's desperate to get medical care for his little sister and does what he must, including it looks like a heist to make it happen. That made $46 million, but that grew as the week went on. And Booty Bears, Back to Earth. This is a Chinese animated series, TV launched into film. That made $40 million over the week. So a big, big week at the Chinese box office. The first movie, not a Chinese film, is also a movie that has not played in China and didn't get an Oscar nomination for Best Picture. It's Spider-Man, No Way Home. It made $38 million this week. It's at $1,776,000,000 worldwide, still setting records. And then, in case you think comedy was dead, I don't know anybody who thought that, but that was the headline. Comedy's not dead. Neither is stupidity. Jackass Forever made $29 million. It's the first Jackass movie I haven't seen on opening weekend. What? How is that, <laughs> how is that even possible? <laughs> I just... My friend Pete... And uh, it's just just the dumbest stuff ever. I never watched the show, but I saw the first movie. And I was like, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> and yet, like a <laughs> moron, I sat there and laughed. I hope these guys, they're going to be doing this in walkers. The, this movie is the cheapest <laughs> jackass movie since the first one. The first one cost about $5 million. Then it was $11 million, uh, $15, 20000000 million, stuff like that. This one cost $10 million to make. It grossed $29 million on its opening weekend because it opened up on a Thursday night. So it's already tripled its budget. I'm sure it had a good ad campaign, but this movie's golden. They have all made lots of money in the last few, even the granddad one that made like $160, $180 million the last two or three. So these are just box office gold. No matter where it ends up, it's already profitable. And it is definitely the, a reminder how fun it is to see a movie in the theater. Do you want to watch Jackass at home alone? No, you really don't. <laughs> you want to have at least a few people around you so you can all, you know, feast on the infectious sound of laughter. And Another by the way, way, my surprise wasn't in the fact that you you didn't see this movie, but the fact that, that I you saw the saw other. The other, other right, <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Sing 2 also got snubbed by the Oscars. Sing 2, though, is doing fine at the theater. $24 million this week. It's about to pass the $300 million mark. The $300 and million. <laughs> Sniper. Here's another Chinese film. This is a Chinese drama set during the Korean War. It grossed $23 million. This is the description. It's about a Korean War veteran uh, 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 who is a Chinese sharpshooter. And from the trailer, it looks like a, a soldier is stranded in no man's land. And an evil American guy is laughing as he keeps wounding the guy and taunt doesn't kill him, but keeps wounding him, waiting for the Koreans or Chinese to try and come rescue the guy so he can pick them off one by one. This guy springs into action. Uh, he apparently in real life wounded or killed 214 U.S. soldiers with 425 shots in 32 days. So within a month, averaging about... I mean, this is, I'm laughing because, like, can you imagine this movie playing in America? <laughs> it's like, no, I don't think this is going to get a US release. I don't think they're going to no. be rushing to put Sniper into American theaters. But that's what it's like for the rest of the world when you watch some gung ho patriotic flick in America, perhaps. For them, watching Rambo or some other movies where we go rampaging makes them feel like you might feel when you watch Sniper. So God bless the soldiers of the U.S. who were there in Korea. But this guy was a hell of a sharpshooter if the story is true, and I assume it is. But It sounds again, very much like Enemy at the Gates. Yes, this movie. Yes, exactly. Another Sniper during war movie. This movie will get a U.S. release the same day Spider-Man gets released in China.
Yeah, so, exactly. So Never. <laughs> Spider-Man did well. Jackass Forever topped the U.S. box office. Moonfall was quite a, a flop on opening week. I'm sure it has a fair number of international territories to go, but it grossed $20 million in its opening week. It did very poorly in the U.S., Poor reviews, like most Roland Emmerich films. We'll have to see where it ends up, but the spectacle did not draw people into theater the way Spider-Man did. So you also have to make a good movie. Back yeah, to China. Yeah, I mean, I saw this. Have you seen this movie? No, no. Oh, my gosh. Did Just, you see it? I saw it uh, at a conference. And uh, actually, I think uh, this is the first time we've talked since I've been to Houston. I went to uh, Houston to the uh, Dine-In Cinema Summit, and oh, my goodness. That they showed that movie on the Samsung LED screen looked amazing. I mean, the picture was crystal clear and perfect and HDR, and the movie was just you awful. could see just how dumb it was. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> back to China, where only Fools Rush in also made a little modest money in its opening week 12 million dollars, but it did seem to be trending up. So maybe the story for this and uh, nice view. That touching story about a brother uh, trying to raise money for his little sister. Maybe the full story hasn't been told yet if word of mouth keeps spreading. Only Fools Rush In is a drama about a father and son who have just finally uh, reunited. The son was estranged and gone away, and now they're head out on a road trip together. Because when relationships are prickly, there's nothing quite like being trapped with them <laughs> for a long time. I should know because I just drove down to Florida for two days and drove back up again. Scream may, still making money. That made $10 million this week. It's at $113 million worldwide, and they have approved a sequel to the sequel to the sequel to the sequel to the sequel. Fireflies so in the So it's going to be a sequel based on a sequel based on an original film, which was a sequel. Yeah, okay. No, there were like five, right? I know. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fireflies in the Sun made $7 million. That's a Chinese film. The Kingsman, that prequel to uh, Kingsman, that made $7 million as well. Belfast, that got a lot of Oscar love, and I'm sure it's one of a number of films hoping to get a boost at the box office. It made $5 million this week. It's at $21 million worldwide. Licorice Pizza, that's up for Best Picture. Uh, no, not best. Is that up for Best Director? I forget. But that also got some Oscar nominations, though nothing in the acting categories. But that made $2 million. It's still in theaters, so maybe they will get lucky. So anyway, the Chinese New Year is here. They made a billion dollars in seven days. The Beatles, two weeks ago, had a really good success with the Beatles, the rooftop concert. That's pulled out from Get Back, the Beatles documentary on TV. That played in IMAX theaters. It's just the rooftop concert and some supporting stuff. It had a great week. A lot of people went to see it. And in limited release this week, we see the worst person in the world. Oscar nominated for Best International Film, right? And Best Screenplay, though not Best Actress, which was a possibility. That movie has opened up in North America with a per theater average of $33,000. That would be a good number anytime. But amidst a pandemic, yeah. when adults are not heading back to the theaters, why this movie clicked so well, I don't know, but it's good news for them. Joaquin Trier's movie, you know, he's, he's a good filmmaker. It premiered at Cannes. You might recall we, we talked about it then. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, Village Roadshow is suing Warner Brothers over them taking the Matrix Resurrections to HBO Max day and date, wasn't it? With the theatrical release. They're like, you're costing us money. <laughs> you're making yeah. money by drawing people to HBO Max, but we're losing money and we're not happy about it. So we'll have to see if that ever gets to court. Probably not. But I know here in Birmingham, Alabama, one of the big news was that Alamo Drafthouse announced they'd be opening up more venues. They announced like four or six locations. And one of them, maybe opening up in 2024, is Birmingham, Alabama. I'm shocked because my impression was that Birmingham, Alabama has a really low movie-going audience. I, when I go to movies, even on Christmas Day, they're not that full in Birmingham, Alabama. Just not a town that goes to a lot of movies. It does have a college here, UAB at Birmingham, so there are college students around. There's a lot of money in Mountain Brook. It's one of the wealthiest zip codes in the country, like Beverly Hills level wealth. So it's, it's an area with money and college students, so it makes sense, I guess, but I just don't see people going to the movies. And we already have an outhouse cinema. We had a a festival called an outhouse cinema you you go an to the bathroom and you go to the movie and you don't have to move yes that's right <laughs> if you saw um idiocracy you would you would know that that's literally a thing in the movie idiocracy a guy sitting on a couch slash porta potty it's one of the worst <laughs> it was one of the most awful sight gags i ever saw but i thought that's actually believable he, he's sitting there watching tv in his barca lounger he's got 
He's got the cooler next to him and the fridge next to him. He's just sitting there. You know, everybody's dumb in the future idiocracy. He's shoving fast food stuff. And he gets up to do something, gets up off the couch, and he just sort of pulls up his pants. I'm like, what? And I realized he was sitting on a porta potty too. It's built. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> oh, idiocracy. Not a good movie, but that was a funny joke. So yeah, we've had a, a film festival called Sidewalk Festival, which has been around for a number of years, and that spun off into Sidewalk Cinema. We have a local art house. It has three screens, two or three screens. I'm, I apologize for not knowing. I maybe it's just two, but. It's everything you want. It's open like four days a week, Thursday through Sunday. Notice open on Mondays and other days too sometimes. It's got a lot of movies for uh, Valentine's Day, special programming. Uh, it's got Black History Month stuff coming up. And on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it has art house movies like The Tragedy of Macbeth or, or Flea, or I forget what's playing right now. But I've seen movies there. They've got you know a nice little bar, nice food. They've got popcorn freshly made. Uh, it's rarely, rarely full you know i saw come on come on there on opening weekend there were not a lot of people there so i just don't see a lot of demand for them maybe alamo draft house can pull it off i mean they have book clubs they have people lecturing in front of movies they do all sorts of stuff that you would expect an art house local place to do to try and drum up attendance and interest so they're doing everything they can but when alamo draft house moves here boy they are going to crush sidewalk cinema and, you know, you just mentioned Sundance a few minutes ago, and deals are still happening from Sundance. Big deals are still happening. You were talking during the festival, like, why aren't these movies getting picked up? Is it because you think these deals are taking longer because it's not in person, so there wasn't that hothouse atmosphere that, you know, creates an artificial deadline? You feel like, oh, my God, we have to make a deal. Or is it just that there are fewer big players looking to buy this year? Or is it the uncertain market for art house movies? Because nobody knows when people will really start coming back to movies for adults. Well, it's interesting that you should ask that question. Uh, I have written a piece for Celluloid Junkie, in fact. I did not know that. (laughs) On this very subject. Uh, And it's basically a a combination of things. One, you got streamers, okay? And they have this kind of voracious need to get new content out to their, their, not only their their existing subscriber base, but to attract new subscribers. Everybody's in growth mode. But wouldn't that make them more eager to make deals? Oh, yes. No. And they did. They went out and made deals. They made a lot of deals. But they didn't happen right away. It seemed like the pace was slower. Yes. Well, in part that that's because, you know, I I think, uh, you know, the original productions have actually ramped up at Apple. They've ramped up at Hulu. They've ramped up in, in various places. So not everybody needs to go to a film festival to pick films up. I think the other thing is you had two years of a pandemic and this is the result of it. You know, these are the films now that you get when after two years of pandemic production, Uh, they weren't nearly as strong as some of the previous years. Oh, you thought it was a weak year. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't a great year, but uh, I don't fault Sundance. I, I basically think that, you know, you had... It was harder it was to make movies. To, yeah, it was difficult to make a movie right now. Uh, you know, the, the other thing is you have, you know, Searchlight is now a part of Disney. They seem to be the, hey, we'll pick your movie up and send it straight to Hulu label. They're, they're <laughs> rarely sending movies to, to theaters. You have uh, a theatrical marketplace where people are not going to see Come On, Come On, which is a an independent black and white movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. They're just not going, you know, you don't basically see, you know, people above the age of 45, 50 going to movies to see anything other than Spider-Man. Uh, but you do see that, you know, younger crowds going to see Jackass. So if you're a specialty division like Sony Picture Classics, what do you do? Uh, you know, you pick up really good films that are like surefire hits like Living, which stars Bill Nye in a, I don't want to say it's a remake, it's a retelling of the Akira Kurosawa film Ikiru. Uh, and Kozu Ishiguru uh, wrote that that script. And it's, you know, a surefire instant classic. Uh, but then you have films like, uh, what was it? Uh, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which was a two-hander, which could have been a play. This was the Emma Thompson film right. where, uh, you know, she hires a, a sex worker. At, at, you know, she's a widow. She hires a sex worker as a retired teacher. And she, you know, it's, it all takes place in a hotel room. 
and and it's it's a very good film and one in which she would be hailed as being brave because she bears all and i mean that literally uh it, you know it's it, she's it, yeah. not brave she's hot yeah well it, it gets uh sold to searchlight who sends it to hulu you know that's a film that would have done really well in theaters and yet really well, I mean, it's like a modest it. art house film. Yeah. You think it would have been a big hit? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Look, Late Night wasn't a big hit. And I thought that would be a, a, a bigger hit than it was. Uh, but then you have Cha Cha Real Smooth, uh, which I thought could go the, the route of the big sick and, and make something like, you know, between 15 and, and you know, $30 million. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money. And, and what happened to it? It went to Apple TV. There you go, because you know nobody knows whether. So I thought that I was talking mostly about the pace, and you think the pace was slower because the movies weren't. It wasn't the best crop. Uh, streamers already have a lot of movies in the works now. They they're less desperate for original stuff that they have to pick up at a festival, and uh, so on. And of course, yeah. the, the this uncertainty of when you'll be able to release a movie in the box office is also a factor. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and yeah, I think all of those things. <clears throat> I mean, certainly for the specialty box office or the specialty specialty film distribution, you look at it and you go, wow, streamers are really kind of that. That's where all these films are going. Well, you know, back, you know, that that's where those films are going. And where's Whoopi? That's what I want to know. Why is she off the what? view? My mom is furious. Whoopi Goldberg is off the view for two weeks and my mom is not happy. Whoopi was on the show. She made a comment about the Holocaust, not a comment of hate or indifference, but she was talking about the Holocaust. And she said, you know, it's not about race. It's about man's inhumanity to man. It's about white people doing it to other white people. And if we talk about race, that brings it down another alley and it's, it's, it's not where it belongs. Well, she was schooled that, no, actually, it is about race. The Nazis saw Jews as an inferior race. They wiped, tried to wipe them off the face of the earth. Many people weighed in on Twitter and stuff. Whoopi, 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 quickly apologized later in the day, said, I've learned something. I was wrong. I should not have said that. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm a big supporter of the Jewish faith. My last name is Goldberg. <laughs> but uh, I made a mistake here, and I apologize for that. The next day, she had on the, the uh, a person from the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, to talk about the issue, and he thanked her for having him on. And, and her again, her apology was sincere and full, and she said, if anything, I should have said it was about race and about man's inhumanity to man. And I thought that would be it, but ABC weighed in and said she needs to be off the air for two weeks. A lot of people reacted in the media and said this seemed like an overreaction. She didn't make a statement of hate. She was, no. you know, she was just talking about it and not fully informed. And and so th there was a fair amount of pushback that they had overreacted, but it's not the end of the world. She's gone for two weeks. She'll be back again and everybody will welcome her with open arms, you know. The only person who seemed happy about it was Megan McCain, who used to be on the show and said, that's right. Conservatives always have a different standard. If I said this, everybody throw the book at me. But Whoopi says and everybody thinks you should get off. So maybe has got a big problem and they're lucky that they, they need to do this because it's a, they got a big problem. They got a big problem of anti-Semitism at, at ABC. Who knew? But anyway, it was a, a tempest in a teapot, I think. I do think they overreacted, though. The only thing interesting about this to me is how the definition of what constitutes white is always changing because Jews did not used to be considered white people. But Whoopi in her mind today is like, well, they're white people. You know, it's white Germans, you know, killing white Jews. What's, you know, it's not about race. But for yeah, go, many, go back about 3,000 yeah, years. <laughs> we'll go back 50 years. You know, no, Jews were not considered white people, certainly not during World War II and for most of history. But again, in America, the Irish were not considered white people, they were not white. They were not considered white. They were seen as a different race. The Italians were not seen as white people. They were seen as a different race. But eventually they came, they assimilated, and people said, well, they're pretty white. You know, but, you know, and the Hispanic Latin, if you look on a form where you fill out races, right, it says white slash Hispanic Latin, right? That's what it does. They're, they're being merged together. I bet pretty soon a lot of Hispanic and Latin people will not be considered to be not white just the way Italians and Irish are now considered white. The main thing is just to say, hey, you're not black, because <laughs> that's where the racism is. They're like, well, at least you're not black. And, you know, and that's where that ugly racism comes in, and that's changing standard of what constitutes white. It's all made up BS, of course. It's a cultural decision. You know, Are you Mexican or American? Nationalism is no more real than race. But it is real in terms of the real world and how people are treated. 
And the ignorance on display in talking about race, which I've probably shown here right now, is massive. But Whoopi was not talking in a, in a message of hate. So it did seem a weird thing. But I do think it's sort of interesting in terms of, yeah, who's white and who's not white. It's an always changing target. Well, who's right and who's not right about Jeff Zucker, who resigned quite suddenly. I mean, he announced last February, he's like, I'm out of here. I don't like dealing with this, you know, the, the whole Discovery Warner Media thing. He was the head of CNN. Uh, formerly the head of the Today Show and the head of NBC Universal, he is, by the way, the person who coined the uh, the phrase uh, that you have to be careful of turning analog dollars into digital pennies. He's the person that coined that phrase, uh, but he uh, led CNN for the past, you know, I don't even know, like eight years, I think, uh, and now uh, I guess he had to resign quite suddenly. Uh, because he had a relationship, which apparently everybody knew about, with Allison Golist, who is the executive vice president and uh, the chief marketing officer at CNN. And he didn't divulge that to to the powers that be, which was against company neither, policy. Neither of, them, neither of them did, but neither she still has her did, job. Yeah. Yeah, so he was vague about when they got serious and the relationship evolved. She, however, in a public statement, said it was during the past year of COVID. That is clearly a lie numerous, numerous people have said that's BS, and they were open about the relationship for years. Big figures, Soledad O'Brien, Katie Couric, Megyn Kelly, have publicly commented or had their memoirs quoted discussing you know, them. You know, Katie Couric talked about the cozy relationship that they had. And apparently, she had a, an apartment below his. I mean, it was just... It or was, above his, yeah. Or above his, yeah. So... Uh, uh, she has lied about when their relationship got serious, and right now it seems a vaguely uh, relationship of somewhat equal. She's a top exec too, but when it began, apparently she was not a top exec. She was like a new person, out of you know, a new not an intern, but much earlier in her career. And he was pushing her for a big position at the Today Show, which Katie Quirk was confused as to why he was doing that. And so this has been going on for years at least. So she has lied about that, and it's not clear whether you know. Just the simple fact that they didn't that it went on for years and they didn't know about it was a problem. It's also maybe revenge from Chris Cuomo, some people are saying, because he's saying, No, you kicked me out for interviewing my brother on the air or, you know, helping my brother. What about Jeff Zucker? And he, he was asking his lawyers asked for information about email exchanges between Jeff Zucker and her. The possibility is also that their knowledge of what he was doing in terms of helping his brother was much more explicit than they have said. And that he was going to blow the lid on that and say, hey, he knew exactly what I was doing. That's possible. But in any case, he brought a spotlight to it. That seems likely. And they're like, mm, he's got to go. He's going to go anyway, probably. Right. He already said he wanted to go. So, well, he wanted case. to go because of, of, you know, not only he wanted to leave on top, right? Leave yeah. on top. He wanted to go because Trump had just left office. Ratings were going to go nowhere but down. So, you know, why do you want to deal with a whole transition to a new boss and a new thing in the post-Trump era? Why not leave while you're number one? <laughs> right. And but he it's, actually, it's ugly. It's weird. It's a double standard for her. Why does she still have her job? Why? Why? Because she's a woman. You know, well, you didn't do it to her. Yeah. Why does she? Well, there was a consensual relationship, but she was a much junior person at the time, which means he certainly bears the bigger brunt in terms of corporate ethics. But why does she still have a job? She didn't report it. She has lied publicly about about when it began. This is clear. And she can sue me if she thinks I'm lying because, you know, talk, you know, I'll get Katie Couric on the stand. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that, by the way. Look, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, there has been this is a at least in the United States, big, big news. And in the media world, it's been bantied about for who knows how long, uh, you know, this past week. So much, yeah. ink, <laughs> so much ink has been spilled uh, at this point. What does it's it mean? Really who did what? When did they do it? How does it matter? It's a yeah. big change at CNN, though, because they're, they're just transitioning to the big streaming service, trying to get all their top people on board. People at CNN aren't happy. And you're like, really? You know, you think this is cool? What what he did, you know. <laughs> so it's it's they're all very passionate about it. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think uh, the other thing is uh, Jason Kalar is having fewer and fewer fans with each passing day because he's the one that made the decision. You might recall he, he also made another decision. He decided, you know, what we should do release feature films 
in movie theaters and on HBO Max at the same time. So basically, this is a guy who's he's torpedoing the ship on the way well, down. I, no, he, I don't think he had a choice here, and I don't I don't think it was the wrong decision. And I I don't know if we even know all the reasons why this particular decision. That was I made. agree with. That that yeah, I agree I with. I think the scene and anchors being pissy about their friend being kicked out when it ab- absolutely was an outrageous issue and was unacceptable, and he's been lying about it for years and lied up to it even up to the day he was being fired fired and she's lied about it that makes it pretty unacceptable so uh i don't know uh they win an award from biggest hypocrisy well if they won that award will they be allowed to win a bafta uh a wga award a director's guild award a pga award or of course since nobody cares about those awards anymore now that the the uh the oscars 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 it's all about oscar Right, so the BAFTA nominations are out. We've got a list of them. Nine out of their 10 top movies for BAFTA and Best International Film are in the Oscar mix. The WGA have their nominees out for Best Original Screenplay and Best Adapted Screenplay. They pretty closely match the Oscars. Um, PGA nominations. Uh, a lot of times you'll see like eight out of 10, seven or eight out of their 10 nominations will be duplicated at the Oscars. The PGA Animation nominees, they got four out of five. The DGA Picture nominees, they're five for five. Uh, Doc nominees, they, they did pretty good. I think they got three out of five. They did not include Flea because that's not a uh, uh, American film. Uh, American Society of Cinematographers, they've got you know live action nominees. Belfast, Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and The Tragic Macbeth. I think that's five for five. You'd have to go check that while I'm talking. That's pretty good. The Cinema Audio Society weighed in. Uh, the costume designers weighed in, though they refused to name their top five overall. The editors weighed in, though they too to break it up into drama, comedy, animated, documentary. Tell us what the five best edited films are of the year. Otherwise, we don't care. But it's been a crazy year. All these award things have been crunched together and spread out, and it's all confusing, but it's all over now. We knew we would have 10 nominees this year because that's what we're back to at the Oscars. I hope they stick to that. And the 10 films up for Best Picture, you know them all. You've seen them all. It's Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, The Shocker of the Day, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, which had the most nominations with 12, and West Side Story. With West Side Story, Spielberg is, has been nominated uh, as a producer 11 times. He's been connected to 11 films that have been nominated for Best Picture. It's the most in history. Uh, at number nine is Scott Rudin with nine movies nominated for Best Picture. Kenneth Branagh set some uh, records. He has been nominated in seven different categories in one year. Seven nominations, seven different categories. Even Orson Welles couldn't do that. So that's pretty cool. That's a record as well. Lots of other little things. Coda got a nomination for a a male deaf actor the first time in history. Uh, Jane Campion is the first woman to be nominated twice for Best Director. Uh, Will Smith breaks a 15-year gap between nominations with King Richard. Uh, Flea. Flea is the really cool story here, I think, in terms of geeky stats. Flea is this animated, I think, Dutch film about a gay Afghan refugee. (laughs) <laughs> and this movie could have been nominated for Best Picture, but it is nominated for Best Animated Film, Best International Film, and the one it will win, Best Documentary. So that's pretty cool. But when you look at all that and you get confused and you wonder, okay, there's 10 movies, there's all these nominations, there's these international films. What are the real front runners? Well, you look at the ones that have the most nominations, especially in the major categories, and clearly The Power of the Dog is far and away the big the big dog. That one is going to win everything. And if you look at the Best Director nominations, you can see Belfast, Drive My Car, which is nice to get, Licorice Pizza, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story, which only got one acting nod. So that looks pretty weak, but they like voting for Spielberg. So when you look at that, and you look at all the other nominations, and you look at Best Actor and Supporting them. it's clear to me that the runaway winner, I feel like I could fill up my ballot right now. Picture, director, probably actor, screenplay, the power of the dog. You think that's that's going to happen? You don't think, uh, well, West Side Story, I mean, it's the no. second time it's been nominated. Remember, the second it time it didn't it didn't get any acting nominations except one supporting actress nod. So there's not a lo- lot of love for the movie. It did get picture director. It did not get screenplay. 
So that that hurts it. That's a that's a sign of weakness. You know, if you're not nominated for screenplay, that's a problem. Uh, I believe uh, the other big key category is, is editing. It did not get nominated for best editing. The five nominees for best editing are Don't Look Up, which is lucky to be on the list. Dune, which got a lot of technical nominations. It's akin to Mad Max Fury Road. It will win a lot of technical awards, but certainly falls short when it comes to best picture. It didn't even get nominated for best director. Also nominated for Best Editing are King Richard, Tick, Tick, Boom, the musical, and then The Power of the Dog. So in every way you can look at it, The Power of the Dog shows strength. Uh, it did not get a Best Actress nomination because it didn't really have a performance that was eligible. Kirsten Dunst got nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And in the Best Supporting Actor category, go, go, Friday Night Lights, Jesse Plemons for Best Supporting Actor, along with Cody Smith-McPhee, both for The Power of the Dog. I think Siren Hines will win Best Supporting Actor for Belfast, but that's cool to see. And if one of them wins, or Kirsten Dunst wins, because anybody can win Best Supporting Actress, if that happens, then you know Power of the Dog. So early in the night, if you see Best Supporting Actor or Actress fall to The Power of the Dog, uh, that just tells you that movie's going to be locked in for the entire night. And you think Benedict Cumberbatch walks home with? Uh, well, Power it's of the cer- dog. certainly Will Smith is his main competitor because that movie is also nominated for picture and director, and and had a fair amount of love and a best supporting actress. But I, yeah, I, I think you know obviously there's always somebody else who could be the spoiler. But I, I would right now I would definitely vote for Benedict Cumberbatch. Best actress I guess could be anyone, but my instinct is Olivia Coleman again for the Lost Daughter. You know, it's it's all none of the nominees are from a best picture nominee, which I don't know if that's ever happened before in history. I doubt it. And that's cool to see. Uh, Parallel Mothers was not nominated in, in any other categories where it might have uh, the eyes of Tammy Faye is fun for Jessica Chastain. Maybe if they love. I'm surprised the, that that she got nominated, to be honest. Well, it's a it's a flashy performance. She's playing a real person and uh, they love that. You know, Kristen Stewart got her first Oscar nomination for playing Diana, uh, Princess of Wales, in Spencer. Nicole Kidman got a nomination for playing a real person, uh, Lucille Ball, and being the Ricardos. So, you know, three out of the five are real people. And they the, love that you stuff. know, what, what about the, the, of course, everybody loves to talk about the snubs, the snubs. There uh, are no snubs. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there are any snubs. Pretty much all the list that we saw beforehand is what we're seeing now. Uh, in Canto, oh, come on, uh, Lady Gaga, Lady that's Gaga. Not a, everybody that's thought that's not a snub. That's not a snub. <laughs> She's not. Somebody a pointed lot. out, by the way, if she if she had been nominated and 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 then won, she would follow Cher's um path, where she uh, got nominated for uh, a movie where she played an Italian uh, after being nominated for another film and lost the the previous uh, nomination. Uh, and what? Then, oh Lord, you're making my head hurt. Yeah, that's, and, this and is both of them are MGM. This yeah. looks for patterns where there are no patterns. MGM got a nomination for Best Picture with Nightmare Alley, I believe. That's an MGM film, isn't it? Is no, I thought MGM? it was a Warner Bros. Well, who's, who's, who's Nightmare? Who's, what movie is MGM? I don't know. Well, first of all, can we talk about Dune? M- MGM was the first movie, uh, for first Best Picture nomination for MGM. Some movie was. Oh, Licorice Pizza. I beg your pardon. So Licorice Pizza is an MGM film that got the, it's the first movie to be nominated for Best Picture since Rain Man back in 1988. They did have a piece of, of The Lord of the Rings, but you know. And it, yeah, of course one of the, yeah. So yeah. So Licorice Pizza, their first nomination in 34 years. Wow. And okay. what do you want to say about Dune? Well, the fact that Denis Villeneuve was, uh, it's like, this movie is great, except for its director. <laughs> well, that <laughs> shows that they, they really admired the, the, the technical elements of it. It's a huge spectacle. It's like, you know, Lawrence of Arabia or Mad Max Fury Road, which also did not get a lot of acting love. But, you know, they respect the movie and see all the great technical stuff it did. They might have done the same with Spider-Man, No Way Home, but that has the word no in its title. Just don't say no. Don't put no in your title. If you have the word no in your title, you're not going to, they'll just say no. So Spider-Man No Way Home didn't get nominated and uh, for Best Picture or a lot of other stuff that it might have, but it did get Best Visual Effects and I think Best Sound. But again, when you look down at the list, I think it's, you could just 
check it off now. I think Belfast will win Best Original Screenplay because you got to give Kenneth Branagh something. It will get Best Supporting Actor and Best Screenplay. I think uh, Best Adapted Screenplay is The Power of the Dog. Best Animated Film is Encanto. Best International Film is Drive My Car, which also got nominated for Picture and Director. And Best Documentary is clearly Flea. And if Drive My Car wins, it'll be shocking, I think. Wins what? Well, I guess it wasn't nominated for Best Picture, right? It so, was. It's not. It, oh, it was. Well, if, well, it wins, well, if it wins Best Picture. If it wins Best Picture. No, it's not going to win Best Picture. All right. Why would you? Right. It's not going to win. It won't be shocking because it won't happen. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be Coda. It's not going to be Don't Look Up. It, it, it's not going it to be Dune. It's not going to be Licorice Pizza or Nightmare Alley or, or, you know. So you're looking at two or three possibilities, really. I don't see much can even question the power of the dog, but maybe Belfast. Maybe West Side Story, though that seems unlikely, but, you know. Well, if it did, would it be a big deal? <laughs> it would indeed. It would be a big deal or a big whoop, because that's our weekly segment where we skip over the streaming news and we jump right to big deal or big whoop, where we look at all the week's top headlines and decide whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Clearly, we won't be talking about the fact that Disney Plus is going to debut in 42 countries this summer throughout Europe. Africa and East Asia, including South Africa, Turkey, Poland. HBO Max will be debuting in 15 more European countries, including Poland, any minute now. And Amazon is raising the price of, of Amazon Prime by 20 bucks to $139. They said, hey, look at all the stuff we've added. The last time they raised their prices was in 2018. So it has been almost four years, three and a half years. Yes, but to which me. everybody said, said, we don't care about the NFL. Stop. <laughs> you know, can we get rid of the yes, NFL? They do. Yes, they do and, care about the NFL. Oh, uh, in, in any case, uh, you know what? Speaking of streaming, the Winter Olympics are taking place right now, of course, as, as everybody knows, in, in Beijing, China. And here in the U.S., they're on NBC, MSNBC, CNBC, The Peacock, which is a streamer, and like a dozen other platforms. If you wanted to watch 24 hours of Olympics coverage all day long, you could. Thanks to NBC here in the U.S. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? Right. The Winter Olympics are taking place. Big deal or big whoop? Big whoop. Ratings are way down. Way down. Like, compared to the last Winter Olympics, they've been cut in half. And the last Winter Olympics were historic lows in certain levels, depending on what day you're talking about. But way, way down for NBC. No good news here. They've got politics. They've got players being muzzled. They've got people on the right and people on the left trying to politicize the Olympics and saying nobody should watch. My brother's not watching. I'm not going to watch. This guy soaks up sports. And he's just, I'm not watching the Olympics because it's in China. It shouldn't be in China. So... This is just uh, just an ugly situation for NBC if you're just looking at it as a business thing. Uh, Nate Chen's doing great in, in figure skating. Can't wait to watch him win gold, I hope. Fingers crossed, but it is not a big deal. They need to get, you know, the only way to clear out the corruption and make this exciting again is to screw over everything that they've done. Pick four countries, four locations, and make them permanent. You know, obviously Athens, somewhere in the United States, and two other countries, maybe Latin and Asia. A Latin American country and, and Asia. Well, somewhere in, well, I guess Europe, have, yeah. And have permit, well, yes. Uh, and isn't Greece in Europe? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So you need four permanent venues, two summer, two winter. You got to think about the climate crisis and what they'll be like 10, 20 years from now. So they're still good for what you want. And that will get rid of all the corruption and moving it from country to country and make it every four years again. It's every minute is the Olympics. It's just not interesting anymore. Yeah, well, I think uh, much like the NFL is learning, when you have your your games on every day of the week, uh, none of them are actually that important. Although the NFL, we don't talk about NFL. We don't talk uh, about NFL. You know what what we don't talk about? I'll tell you what we don't talk about. The Disney soundtrack for the animated film Encanto, which is back on top of the Billboard album charts. And guess what? So is the song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, which hit number one in the Hot 100. It's only the second time in history a Disney song has hit number one overall. Aladdin's A Whole New World is the other one. And it's the first time Disney has enjoyed the number one album and the number one song in the country at the same time. Big deal or big whoop? Very big deal. It's the first song in four years, this is fascinating, to top the Hot 100 and be written by a single person. That's why when you look at the Grammy nominations and like Justin Bieber, you see like 60 people listed because they're just groups of people on song after song after song. By the way, his album is very good. But oh my gosh, one person, one song setting a record for Disney. 
I think he's going to win the Oscar for best song. I think Lin-Manuel, it's not We Don't Talk About Bruno. It's another song from the movie, much more Oscar friendly. I think that will win best song, but you've got powerhouse people in that lineup. You've got Beyonce. She's, she could be up singing best song. You've got Lin-Manuel for uh, Dos Orguitas from Encanto. Van Morrison, that anti-vaxxer. He won't be allowed in the room because he won't wear a mask. He's there for <laughs> Down to Joy. You've got Billie Eilish for No Time to Die. There was a movie that maybe was snubbed in some people's eyes. They thought the James Bond film No Time to Die might get a Best Picture nomination or maybe an actor, some other stuff. Nope, nope, nope. And then Diane Warren, who has been nominated 13 times now. Her 13th nomination for Best Song is for Somehow You Do from the movie Four Good Days, and that's sung by Reba McIntyre. So if they want to mix it up, they've got Beyonce, Lin-Manuel, Van Morrison, Billie Eilish, and Reba. That is like a gift. A person of color, Irish, a young, a young, you know, talented woman, uh, a Latin person, and a country artist. That's a really good, diverse mix of nominees, younger, hipper, and older, that you could, if you could map it out, you would pick something like that. So if they don't let all of them perform, they are crazy. Well, you know, okay, so let's talk about country music for a second by talking about the rock and roll, rock, rock and roll? No, rock, rock and, and roll. Rock Hall of Fame. This is yeah, the, the rock and roll we, Hall of Fame. This is the episode where we can't pronounce nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I believe you pronounce nothing uh, niched. No, that's no. In, in any case, uh, look, this is your favorite day. I know it's your favorite day because it's the rock and roll Hall of. It's when when the rock and roll Hall of Fame announces not its original list of nominees, but seven new nominees who will join the ten previous nominees, all hoping to enter the Hall of Fame. The seven new eligible people are Beck, Duran yes. Duran. No. Duran Duran. Okay. Eminem? Yes. Dolly Parton? Yes. Not rock and roll at all, but by God, I'd vote for exactly. her. Exactly. Like, she's the epitome of country. Somehow she'll be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Lionel Richie? No. What do you mean? He's dancing on the ceiling. How could you not get... He's dancing on the guy at the Fies Gravity. Carly Simon? Nope. And A Tribe Called Quest? Yes, one of the great uh, hip-hop groups of all time. Uh, I think it's not a big deal, of course. Dolly Parton will probably not get in the hall because she's been eligible for decades now, almost since the hall began, and that this is the first time she's received a nomination. So there's not a lot of strong support for her. She would have been eligible. She would have been nominated a decade or two ago. So she's, she's squeaked onto the list. I basically just don't see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I see it as the Popular Music Hall of Fame. Maybe that's wrong, but that's how I see it. Uh, if you're going to have other people who are on that list that are not rock and roll, I can't see any reason not to have Dolly Parton. And, you know, Lionel Richie, great guy. I think the Commodore should be in there, but maybe not Lionel Richie solo. Oh, well, oh, okay. there you go. And the 10 previous nominees were like Pat Benatar, Kate Bush, Devo, Eurythmics, Judas Priest, Fela Kuti, MC5, who I near realized should not be in the hall, New York Dolls, Rage Against the Machine, and Dion Warwick, who absolutely does. And the list of people who are not in the hall that are probably never going to be grows longer and longer every day. The Monkees, Nick Drake, Patsy Klein, Captain Beefheart, Richard Thompson, Merle Haggard, George Jones, Benny King, and on and on and on. Merle Haggard, I guess you would consider him rock and roll or, or really country? No, he, he, no, he's country. He's country to the yeah. core, but he's certainly been an influence on a lot of Americana acts and people who are considered pretty rock and rollish. But he's a great, great songwriter. Uh, Harry Nielsen, Tim Buckley, The Meters, The Marvelettes. I mean, there's just endless numbers of people who are great, who perhaps do belong and aren't going to make it. Well, you know, you can listen to any, you know, probably almost all of those uh, nominees on Spotify. Not Neil Young. Streaming music. <laughs> Not Neil Young. In fact, it is time for Inside Baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. Here's how they affect you. You can't listen to Joni Mitchell or Neil Young on Spotify because it was a bad two weeks for Spotify, which saw cranky Neil Young's quixotic complaint about the spreading of lies about COVID turn into a media nightmare for the streaming service's biggest act podcaster joe rogan young was joined by crosby stills and nash sort of and uh joni mitchell and others then india Ari chimed in saying yeah the covid bs is bad but what about the racism and then she reposted a video of greatest hits of rogan using the n-word that's when a quarterly earnings call turned pretty much uh you know ugly uh the stock dropped though not as much as say i don't know Facebook and Rogan apologized and Daniel Eck, the CEO of Spotify, apologized and the damn thing revealed 
that artists are pissed at Spotify for, well, I don't know. The list is very long. A lot of reasons. Let's dive in. Well, yeah, it's interesting. It's been a a cluster. Well, it's been a, uh, what can I say? It's been a mess for Spotify. That's for sure. Neil Young started it all. And, you know, he's like, look, I'm not trying to censor him. I just don't want to be on a platform that he's on. They're making money off him. I don't want to be there. Uh, you know, basically every time Joe Rogan gets called out for peddling a bunch of BS, he calls himself a liberal, by the way, but he has lots of cranks and weirdos on this show and people who are way out the mainstream or just peddling hate and misinformation. He said, what do I know? Don't listen to me. <laughs> well, but you know, actually, says- uh, John Stewart actually came not to necessarily to his defense, but said, look, here's a guy that when you actually show him the truth and say, hey, listen, you know, you're saying X, but actually it's Y, he goes, oh. Oh, no, actually, he doesn't. I didn't know no, that. No, he doesn't. He has spent two years peddling lies and misinformation about COVID. He does not learn and grow at all. And he has been peddling a little bit of you know, low-level racism for a long, long time as well. This is a, Yeah, I don't you know, know anything about him. I don't well, know anything, well, the first well, thing about him. Then don't say that you know, John Stewart's wrong. That's why he's retired. I'm sorry, he's a show on Apple. Nobody cares. Yeah. No, no, no. I no, think it's, is it Apple or HBO? Uh, maybe it's Apple, Apple. Apple. Yeah, no, he's, he's basically like they know each other. All these white guys who are in comedy know each other. And he's like, oh, you're overreacting. Who's overreacting? Neil Young said, I don't want to be on a platform with Joe Rogan. If they're going to spread lies that will literally kill people, I don't want to be on that platform. That's not an overreaction. That's him saying, I don't want to be. You know what? I don't want to be on Fox News. I don't. <laughs> if I was on Fox News and they turned into the channel they are, I'd say, yeah, I'm going to go somewhere else. It may hurt me financially, but I don't want to be here. The New York Post, I used to write for them. I almost quit the day, it's so silly, but like they put the new home of Nora Jones on the front page of the newspaper saying this is the new brownstone Nora Jones bought. I'm like, A, who cares? And B, you're just asking some crazy stalker to hurt her. Why are you showing where she lives? That's just crazy. Like that's just unacceptable. And then they got worse and worse. And I'm glad it was years ago that I used to work for them because I wouldn't be there anymore. So, you know, that's not an overreaction. That's just him saying, I don't want to be on there. And so what do you think? I mean, I look at Joe Rogan uh, kind of like a Howard Stern, a present day Howard Stern. When you hire more him, like you know Rush. what you're getting. No, more like Rush. Oh, okay. not Howard Stern, Rush. Yeah, because Howard Stern was more just like, uh, I want to say l- l- lascivious con- content. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Was, absolutely yeah. lascivious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Howard um, Stern was, was sex and rock and roll, uh, you know, Joe Rogan is more just rambling on talking to people. You know what? Think of Art Bell. He was on the radio. He had nut jobs and conspiracy theorists and people peddling BS all the time. But it was about like aliens or there's a hole in my backyard and there's no bottom to it. Nobody can figure out what the bottom is. And there's this weird magnetic glow coming from it or people talking about time travel. And he'd say, hey, if you're a time traveler, call me up. And if you can convince me that you're legitimate, I'll put you on the air. Right. All complete BS. And he would also sometimes have on real scientists talking about the weird real stuff that you can discover when you look at science and astronomy and all these different worlds. And they were fascinating, real people. And sometimes the cranks had, you know, degrees, but they were still cranks, but nobody cared because no one's going to die. If you tell them that UFOs are landing and there's a hole in my backyard, that's really deep. But when you're in the midst of a plague and lying to people and telling them, Hey, don't bother getting vaccinated or this vaccination is going to kill you or pregnant women shouldn't use it, or it's all lies or take this bleach and ivermectin instead. This is what I did that's dangerous. You're going to get people killed. So there's a big difference between just nutty, stupid conspiracy theories and low level hate and BS. So, okay. So, but, but really what this, you know, as far as the entertainment industry is concerned here, it's all about Spotify has become the largest podcast distributor. You know, it's the platform with the most podcasts and that distributes the most podcasts kind of taking over for Apple's iTunes. Uh, And so that kind of makes it important in that regard. Well, they, they have horrible royalty system, but people are just going to be hurting themselves financially if they take themselves off. I think Neil Young was sincere. This is all about the misinformation. Joni Mitchell joined him, and she's right. He reunited Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young somehow. The only thing they could agree on is they didn't want to be on Spotify. But the way contracts work, David Crosby says, I wish my music wasn't on there, but there's nothing he can do about it because he doesn't have the right to pull it. So a lot of smaller acts who you think, well, where are you, you cynical people? I thought you cared about this stuff, and now you're not pulling your music. Well, they can't. 
the record label has the rights right now. Other people, rights holders have the rights. They don't have the ability to yank the music off the air themselves. So India Ari does have that ability. And she said, yeah, all that COVID misinformation is bad, but there's also the racism stuff. And she has the receipts, namely a video compiling all of his uses of the N-word over the years. Now, Rogan apologized after Neil Young came out and it started to snowball. He said, yeah, sorry if I offended you. I guess I got to do a better job of balancing out stuff, you know, when I have someone person on, I should have someone else on. So yeah, the next time he has someone on saying the earth is flat, maybe he'll have someone, a real scientist say, no, the earth is not flat. But, you know, then India reposted her thing. He said, all right, now I really feel bad. This is the worst thing. It's embarrassing. I know I should never use this word. I didn't used to think that. Uh, I never used it in hate. And in fairness to Joe Rogan, he does talk about the context of some of his use of the N-word, where he's quoting a Richard Pryor album title and other things where he was talking specifically about the word and how people use it and whether it can be used or not. So I have I have a lot of sympathy for that. Uh, I don't have a lot Joe of sympathy Joe Rogan's for him calling you right now and he's like, yeah, hey, Joe man. Rogan's like, dude, it's about time you said something nice about me. Yeah, so, <laughs> so he really abased himself over this one and says, I never used it in hate. I'm not a racist, but... I shouldn't have done it ever. I know better now. Haven't done it in years, but I feel really bad. And well, you know, full disclosure, mm -hmm. our, our podcast is on Spotify. So uh, yes, it is. And you know what? It, it, it has helped us out by being on Spotify. Uh, by the way, you could subscribe to our show on Spotify. <laughs> the iTunes. And rate, and rate and review us there and on iTunes. Yeah. Yes. So a lot of people now are saying a lot of people don't have the right to pull their show. We do. Uh, we reach a lot of people and we reach them for free. I have a friend who does goodblacknews.com, which is a great website. It's a great thing you can follow on Facebook. She likes to put out positive news every day about people of color, specifically black people. And she just started a podcast like two weeks ago um, with a little daily drop of good black news. So it's like a one to two minute thing. It's like the reverse of our show. Two minute thing about this day in black <laughs> history or some figure that she wants to highlight and talk about. So it's cool. It's a very cool little historical informational thing. It's literally one to two minutes long. They just started doing it. And she said, we're going to keep on Spotify right now because A, we're not making any money off them. And B, it's available for free. Unlike Apple and unlike Amazon and unlike most others, you can get Spotify for free and play stuff for free, even playlists that we have, though you will get ads, but that's okay. And since it's free, we feel like it's more available to most people and we see our role as educational and therefore she decided that they would keep Good Black News on Spotify for now. Uh, they're also exploring other possibilities like putting it on YouTube music and you know we're available for free. We're using that platform. Should we, you know, let us know. Do you think we should be off Spotify? Tell us. Yes, you can write to us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter where our handle is at showbizsandbox. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox is where you can like our page. You but know who won't be liking our page? Yeah, Joe Rogan. But put aside the fact that uh, I think his his use of the N-word in those contexts was, to me, different from using it in a term of hate, just like I felt Whoopi's comments were not made in hate. Forget the use of the N-word. Just in the last two weeks, Joe Rogan was talking to some other white guy about who's black and who's not black, which is not a good conversation to have if you're a white guy. And he said, I don't think you should really, I mean, is he black? Is, is Trevor Noah, is this person black? Is that, I mean, I don't think you should call anyone black unless they're like really, really, really dark. And they come from Africa and like a place where like nobody wears clothes. Those are the only people you should call black. That's what he said two weeks ago. So yeah. Like, yeah. You can yeah. see why like, the, the employees at Spotify are kind of up in arms. Yeah, Spotify is like, first they said, we're keeping him on the air, but we feel bad. Then they said, now we really apologize after his racial stuff came up, his racist stuff came up. Then they apologized to their staff for having to deal with this. But every step of the way, like, but we got to keep him on the air. <laughs> He's hugely popular. And they said, look, we're really worried about silencing voices. We think that's a slippery slope. It's like, dude, you wouldn't be silencing Joe Rogan. You just wouldn't be giving him your platform. You know, right. it's like, why not have neo-Nazis on their podcast on your on Spotify? Why not allow the shooter who's, who's some of the mass shooters who have been around in the Scandinavian Nordic countries? Why not have them have their own show? 
there's a reason they don't have their own show. So there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't like this person. I don't want to have them on my platform. That's not silencing them or censoring them. That's just you deciding who you want. But the fact is, if you booked Rush for your radio station, you made a lot of money for decades. And Spotify with Joe Rogan, you know, they paid him a lot of money, but I believe he's a huge winner for them. And they are thrilled to have him on their service and he's not going anywhere. However, their stock has taken a hit along with a lot of other tech stocks and similar companies. But nonetheless, they had almost doubled their stock from $170 to like $340, $350. They've gone right back down to where they were right before they announced the signing of Joe Rogan, about $170. Well, you know who is not around anymore? A lot of people. This just happened. Douglas Trumbull, while we were on the show, speaking of... Uh, of John Williams, one of his other great scores, one of his greatest is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And Douglas Trumbull, the, the special effects legend, Oscar-winning special effects legend, he has died at the age of 79. We just found out about it. Of course, he worked on 2001 A Space Odyssey, Blade Runner. It just doesn't get more landmark than those films. He has a lot of others to his credit, but it just happened. And did you know Chris Huvane, the talent manager who you died know, at 47? I was shocked when I yeah. saw this, actually, I was really like, uh, now I actually learned about it here <laughs> by reading our oh, show I'm so, notes. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, he's a talent manager. He's one of the more recognizable names in Hollywood in terms of the talent manager side. He died at the age of 47. Apparently he lived with depression for many years and he died by suicide last week, it appears. So that's, uh, that's only been reported, but that's the sad news out of Chris Uvain. Yeah, Chris Huvane, who is, you know, probably the name Huvane sounds familiar because of, uh, of course, Stephen Huvane, who is a big uh, publicist. And, of course, yeah. Uh, and his brother, who's a big agent. Why am I now forgetting his brother's name, who I used to work for? Okay, you think about it. But uh, so did you know him or not? Kevin, Obviously Kevin Huvane. Kevin, Kevin Huvane, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So it's upsetting. You, you, you've, you've heard of Chris Huvane over the years, and it's, it's always sad to, to know somebody's dealt with depression and then lost that battle. Uh, another person who just died is Italian star Monica Vitti, who died at the age of 90. Uh, the country's culture minister, Italy's culture minister, said in a statement, goodbye to the queen of Italian cinema. <laughs> wow. She is a key figure in cinema, especially for her groundbreaking work in films by Michelangelo Antonioni, especially La Ventura. She's also a stage star. They met, they became partners personally and professionally. And she was a very major contrast to the earth mothers of Sophia Loren and Anna Magnani. She was cool. She was cerebral. Our in-house film critic, Aaron Rich, says she is the most beautiful woman who has ever appeared in a movie. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's saying something. I when he told me that, I was literally watching Casablanca with Ingrid Bergman circa 1943, and I said, I don't know. <laughs> She's awfully pretty, though. And she was so cool and removed that, in a way, I'm shocked that Hitchcock never got to work with her. But after her period with, uh, 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 with uh, Antonioni ended, she transferred to light Italian comedies, shocking everybody. They were like, what? You know, you have someone in these incredibly arty and obscure films that almost make no sense. And then suddenly she's doing light comedies and was a big star for years. And those didn't translate worldwide. But, uh, you know, La Ventura itself didn't translate. It debuted at Cannes in 1960. It opened to booze and that, as well as impassioned defenses. It got a consolation prize. It, it split people down the middle all over the world. And then two years later, the sight and sound poll named it the second best film of all time right behind Citizen Kane. So an interesting, fascinating career. Well, now we have about one, two, nine. Yeah, I know. Carlton Carpenter's dead. He was probably, he was gay, but closeted. Peter Robbins died. He was the voice of Charlie Brown. He died at the age of 65. Hargus Pig Robbins died at the age of 84. He's a country music session legend. He played literally, Pig Robbins played with literally everyone in country music. He's one of the great session artists of all time. His list of credits go from Patsy Cline to Miranda Lambert and Sturgill Symptom. It's crazy long. And yes, the blind, the blind penis played on Patsy Cline's crazy. Check out any obit to be wowed by his credits. But everyone includes the fact that he played on Bob Dylan's groundbreaking album, Blonde on Blonde. He was especially raucous on Rainy Day Women, the song whose refrain includes the line, everybody must get stoned, to which in interviews, Pig said, now, now, we were. I just, I just <laughs> we want were. to clarify that what you said is the blind pianist, okay? The blind now, pianist, yes. 
Yeah. Okay. Just <laughs> before you start writing in, that's what you were saying there. Howard Hessman died. He played Dr. Johnny Fever on WKRP in Cincinnati. He died at the age of 81. He was Emmy nominated. He did everything from improv comedy to, yes, he was a radio DJ before getting his big break and most iconic role on WKRP playing Dr. Johnny Fever. He also had a role on the sitcom Head of the Class and did lots of other mostly forgettable stuff, though he was in This is Spinal Tap. That's cool. And he's pretty funny right to the end. A statement about his death mentioned that Hessman also enjoyed gardening and swimming, though not simultaneously. <laughs> and then I thought that was funny. And then this is a big one. Bollywood singing legend Lata Mangeshka. She is Bollywood's queen of melody, and she died at the age of 92. Forget Italy. They said, oh, the queen of cinema died. India declared a two days of national mourning with flags flown at half mast. Now that's fame. She was known as the Nightingale. Mangeshka recorded more than 50,000 songs in 18 different languages and is probably the most recorded singer in history. She provided the singing voice for countless actresses, but was never actually seen in a movie in her life. From the 60s on, Lataji and her sister ruled Bollywood's music industry. This is cool. She fought for decades to ensure singers got royalties for the songs they sang on rather than a one-time payment. It was a legal battle that lasted in one form or another from the 60s all the way to 2018. Wow. And we've got a link to The Guardian. They selected 10 songs to start with. There are greatest hits compilations and stuff on Spotify and Apple and Amazon. Uh, but we've got a link to that Guardian selection. It's pretty great. Uh, she had classical training, great voice right up to the end. Uh, sorry to see her go. And you should listen to those songs right after you subscribe to our show in iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast aggregate. I don't know what. Google's, it's just Google Podcasts. You I guess. say that every week. Why don't you look it up? I don't know. <laughs> every, every week, week say, I'm like, oh, I should look that say, up. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> uh, well, Microsoft Marketplace, uh, you got uh, Stitcher. I think we're on TuneIn. Pretty much anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you can find us. And please do rate and review us on any one of those aggregators that allows you to do so. It helps us out when you do that. Now, if, if you didn't follow all of that, you can find that information on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to contact us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call once again is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter. We're at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle, or you can like our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox. Again, all of this information on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT, who can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz can be found online and every week he's got something new and exciting for us. What is it this week, Michael? This week is It's Warmer in the Keys. Dot com. It, it probably actually is warmer in the keys and it's quite a long, uh, you know, website and domain name to remember. So if you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry on that particular website, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. <laughs> Oh my God, I made a mistake. Douglas Trumbull was not, did not win an Oscar? Oh my God. Who the hell beat 2001 for best special effects or best visual effects? That's crazy. <laughs> he never, he didn't win for Blade Runner or for, um, or for 2001 or Close Encounters. No, he did win. No, wait, he did win. Yeah, he did win for two thousand. Oh, Stanley Kubrick was accredited, so he wasn't he wasn't the one who got credited for that. Oh, doesn't that stink? And uh, I guess, <laughs> of course, Close Encounters lost out to Star Wars in seventy seven, and Blade Runner lost out to E. T. the Extraterrestrial. Well, that's a fluke of Oscar history. But he did win a special Oscar, I believe, and some other stuff. Uh, and a great, great talent. SciTech Award, I think he won. Oh, sure. <laughs>